Aloha, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the official Ronnie Landis podcast show. I'm your host, Ronnie Landis, and I am also the founder of the Holistic Health Mastery Program, an integrative, engaging, dynamic, and fully comprehensive online holistic nutrition and holistic health educational platform. You can find more information about that at holistichealthmastery.com. And you can also find more information about me and all the work that I'm up to in the world at www.ronnie, R-O-N-N-I-E, middle-landis.com. So today's episode is really, really amazing, really an incredible conversation with two individuals that I had the pleasure of having over at my house here in Kauai. Hawaii, and they're two friends of mine from Toronto, Canada, and they were here on vacation. We actually bumped into each other at a local health food store on their way to the beach. I didn't know that they were in town, but as synchronicity occurred, we got brought into each other's awareness, and then I told them, hey, look, I've been trying to get you on the show. What an incredible opportunity. Why don't you come on over to the house, and we'll get this thing going, and so... Here we are, Megan Telpner and Josh Gaitalis, two incredible health crusaders, educators, and just really inspirational individuals. Josh is a clinical nutritionist, and Megan Telpner is just a really amazing author, culinary educator, and also nutrition-based educator. And this conversation just went into so many different directions that I think people are going to get some real powerful nuggets of insight, some strategies, some clarification on some of the myths, some of the popular and somewhat controversial topics relating to diet and nutrition. And I'm really just happy that this whole thing occurred for us to sit down like this and share this interview with all of you. In fact, I don't even really want to go too much deeper into the introduction. I really want to just hit the button and let you explore. This was a special 90-minute interview because I had both of them together. I was like, wow, there's so much content. There's so much valuable insights that are going to come out of this conversation. Let's just make it one of the special 90-minute conversations that we have every once in a while. So here it is. Enjoy the show. Toronto-based author and nutritionist Megan Telpner brings her healthy and awesome life inspiration to fans across the globe. As founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition and author of the best-selling Undiet, Eat Your Way to Vibrant Health, and Undiet Cookbook, she is fast creating a revolution in health and well-being. Inspiration is waiting at megantelpner.com and follow her daily at Undiet Life Adventures at Megan Telpner. Josh Gaitalis, clinical nutritionist, is a recognized expert in the fields of clinical detoxification and therapeutic supplementation. He runs a Toronto-based private practice with a worldwide client base. As a leader in his field, Josh teaches clinical nutrition for several natural health colleges and is the first Canadian nutritionist to earn certification as an Institute of Functional Medicine 
practitioner. Josh is a noted expert for various media outlets, including CTV News and City TV, and now offers Functional Nutrition Certification Program. Welcome to the show. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Yeah, my pleasure. So as you know, this is the first time that I've had two people on the show together and also right here in my office, so to speak. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, we're happy to fun. be here. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Uh, so we have a lot of a lot of area to go into with both of you, and we chose to do a special extended 90-minute segment um, just to really dive into both of your backgrounds, both you know individual conversations, but to really like bring it to collectively together. So I guess we'll start with you, Megan. You know, how did you start your path into health? Um, you know, what was the inspiration? Why did you get into it, and what inspires you? Uh, well, don't we all grow up wanting to make our own sauerkraut and hunt for hunt for water? No, I. <laughs> my background was in fashion. Actually, my degree was in fashion, and after graduating from university, I decided to go travel in Africa. Um, my travels were preceded by um, a bunch of vaccinations, and after that, my health took a bit of a turn. Um, three years later, in the summer of 2006, I was finally diagnosed with Crohn's disease, an autoimmune inflammatory bowel disease, where conventional medicine will say there's no known cause, no known cure. And I was 26 at the time and terrified that I was going to be living a life on and off medications, in and out of surgery rooms, hospitals. Um, and, and so I decided to try and figure out what had gone wrong in my body to cause this quote unquote incurable disease. And that was what sparked my own research and my own, I guess, requirement that I needed to take this on and figure it out and heal my body, a cure, no cure I needed to heal. And that was what really sort of triggered my interest in health and nutrition and food um, in acupuncture, Chinese medicine, herbs, yoga, meditation, and employed everything that I was learning could potentially help me um, and started practicing that every day as if it was my full-time job to get better. And the result was that within four weeks, I was 100% symptom-free from a disease I was told I would have for life. Mm. And that was now 10 years ago. And I've been asymptomatic since 100%. Mm. Wonderful. Um and then same question for you, Josh. What got you inspired to do this? Um, and then, yeah, yeah, go from there. Yeah, definitely. So I've always been interested in the body and health and physical activity. And um, in university, I studied kinesiology. Mm. Um, I didn't really want to go into any of the fields that you're sort of meant to go into from there, uh, like occupational therapy and medicine and physical therapy. I had an interest in so many areas, but nothing that I had found up to that point sort of encapsulated it all. Um, I also did a number of psychology courses in university as electives because I've just always been interested in the mind, and I hadn't found something that kind of meshed all those together. Mm -hmm. um, so I took some time off after school, about a year, and then I worked a little bit as a health coach and a personal trainer. Um, and then I saw someone speak at a conference uh, his name's actually Paul Check. You might uh -huh, be familiar with uh -huh, him. Yep. And he talked about holistic nutrition. And I was like just blown away. I'm like, I have to do this. So shortly thereafter, I enrolled in nutrition school and got my diploma and um, started practicing right when I was done. And the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. I, I 
you know, Paul Check, he was one of the first people that I was introduced to in the online world, you know, seven or eight years ago. And then that definitely turned on a few triggers for me, got me really interested in functional nutrition, holistic lifestyle, um, and just really walking that path. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's fascinating. Um, in terms of like what I what I find interesting is that it's very easy to to consider or to depict, say, for example, if you are on the other side of the, the spectrum and you're watching someone's YouTube channel or you're seeing their website, they have really good branding and they've been doing it for a while. It's very easy to assume that that person one day woke up and just like had all these gifts and qualities about them and just like decided that they wanted to be um, you know, this, this health educator or whatever, um, build this business or most, most likely what most people think is that they have just been doing that for their whole life. So it just comes natural to them. But the reality, and especially interviewing so many people, the reality is that everybody had like an impetus, like a, a catalyst that usually was some kind of, um, discomfort or in a lot of cases, some kind of debilitation, like you're sharing, Megan, yeah. that really thrusted them forward. And then, you know, a lot of times by curing ourselves, by healing ourselves, we are actually led to what we're meant to do in the world. Yeah, I think too, I mean, you raise a really good point that that evolution that happens, because I work with a lot of students now who want two things. One, they want to instantly feel better from whatever's been ailing them for years or decades. And they want to instantly become an expert in what they're learning about because they're suddenly like, oh my goodness, this is the truth. I want to know all of it. I want to teach it. I want to share it. I want to yell it. But, you know, if we had done, if you'd done this interview with us, you know, eight years ago, nine years ago, when we were just starting out, our depth of information would be very different too. And all of it is just building and evolving. And I think it's important to raise that, that we're all on our own journey and you know, Josh and I have always made a commitment to continue to keep learning and to always be teaching um, as a very fundamental part of the work we do is to share it in a way that allows people to apply it, but to always be teaching on our own edge of knowledge. And with that, it requires us to continually reassess what we're, what we're living and what we're reading and if it resonates and if it's real and if it's true and if it makes sense for us. And, you know, I work really hard to distill that for my students and invite them to challenge what I'm teaching and challenge what they're learning from YouTube and from different articles they're reading or different summits they're doing or podcasts they're listening to and decide for them if it's the right thing or not. And that none of it happens overnight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. When I saw Paul check the first time and then a number of speakers afterwards, that's exactly how I felt. I just wanted all that information, but the journey has been the best part of it. Learning it, working with, real humans, working with clients, um, adjusting things, learning more, having them challenge me. Uh, I've taught at a couple schools, so my students were like some of my best teachers as well, constantly challenging me and asking me questions to learn more information, and, you know, I wouldn't give that up for anything. Mm -hmm. I've been saying to Josh, like, because, you know, our core our core base of our knowledge. We both, we met in nutrition school. So we had a very similar foundation, but we each went, you know, Josh went the functional medicine route and I went the culinary route. And I take Josh's courses because they're brilliant and so in-depth and I don't think available in that level accessible to everyone the way that he does them. But I also kind of wish I could just like sit close enough to him that I could airdrop all the information (laughs) in his brain into (laughs) mine because I just want to know it all so badly and that hunger for both of us to want 
all that knowledge and be able to apply it in a very practical way has never gone away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of really great places to go from just that. I, I it reminds me um, of a Bruce Lee quote. We kind of have to paraphrase it, but it's basically to the extent of the goal. Any kind of goal is not actually about the goal. It's about the journey towards the goal. And Jim Rohn says that it's not about a goal. It's about who you become in process yeah. or pursuit of the goal. And I, I just th- when I think of that, I think back um, when am I 30 now, almost 31. So 11 years ago, I was um, on the borderline of, of, you know, training for the U.S. national team in Taekwondo and then and then also pursuing a basketball career on the side of that, which sounds ridiculous, <laughs> but like I'm, I'm editing a lot of long story in that. And I had two knee surgeries. And so like my goal was very clear, but my circumstances were other, were contrary to yeah. that. And I had to fight through that and educate myself and heal myself. Um, but what ended up happening was that me going to the 2012 Olympics, that was like my dream. I was all about that. And then eventually what ended up happening was I came to an insight that let me know, or at least I feel like revealed to me that that image I had of myself at that platform had nothing to do with me actually materializing that exact vision. It was, it was to pull out the things that were dormant inside of me to activate me in a way that would exercise, um, capabilities of perseverance and, and, um, good habits and and uh, you know all the things required for success in any field, anything you yeah. want to do. And then by the time I got to that point, I no longer had the fire that I did before because I had become something different. Yeah, which was very fascinating. I would say the the it was my meditation teacher um, who would talk a lot about the idea that the process is the outcome. Like when you sit to meditate, it's not about what happens after; it's the process of actually sitting. But it's the same with any journey, I think, or any goal you have is that most of the benefit you're going to get is from pursuing that goal, not necessarily achieving it. And you have to be sort of loosely attached to what the outcome is and just keep moving forward and being open to whatever might inform you along the way and and be okay with being like, but I was supposed to get to that one place. But you know what? That new path is looking a lot, a lot brighter and a lot more, you know, Mm. I call it sparkle. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The glitter. Follow the glitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That um, I've I've really been um, tuning more and more and in, in solidifying within myself my spiritual path, which mm-hmm. has always been there, but it's become more real, like you know, like really real. And so with that, I've been really tuning into one of my original mentors, Michael Beckwith, and really diving deeper and deeper and and. You know, uh, without a long story, one of the things that reminds me of is a quote that I recently heard um, from one of the speeches he was giving on world peace. And he said, people don't need to pray to God for a blessing. God is praying that we wake up and answer the call. Mm-hmm. And that's what that reminded me of is that the call is always upon us. But are we receptive? Are we present to actually hear it? Yeah. And then do we trust it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Josh always goes with the evidence approach. Mm. Like I, I can easily get caught up in, um, not necessarily the fear, but like a lot of what ifs or Mm. is this working? And then Josh has a really amazing way of grounding in on like one step in front of the other. And this is what we need to do today. Mm. And I think that helps, um, 
like with like to bring like a massive picture or a really big desire to create positive change into like what has to happen in this moment right now to work mm-hmm. towards that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what it takes to get people to have success with protocols, right? At the end of the day, there's all this amazing information <laughs> out there on food, nutrition, lifestyle, supplements, everything. And uh, there's no lack of resources nowadays, but getting people to do the right thing at the right time and the right dosage that's right for them is a whole other can of worms. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's where a lot of my focus has been and making my protocols into easily digestible uh, steps for that specific individual. I've seen hundreds of people and I haven't made two protocols that are the same. Everything Mm -hmm. is completely individualized to what that person needs. Mm -hmm. I've been reading this book recently on on this while we've been in Hawaii and almost (laughs) every page I'm like, Josh, should I be taking this? Should I be doing this? And he's like, no, like there's no evidence that says that you need to get that test done and there's no, you have no symptoms that say that you need to be taking that supplement, but it's so easy when there's like this abundance of knowledge more than has ever been available. I recently interviewed, um, Sayer G, the founder of Green Med Info, and he essentially broke down that on PubMed alone, there's like 20, like if you put together how much time from all the brains that have put together all the studies that are on that one database, there's like 20 million years worth of information available on that database. So for people to, you know, when people are listening to to your podcast, they're obviously hungry for this knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I think what's so important is to take that in and really think about, you know, like Josh said, like the individualized approach, like what is it that you actually need for yourself to be living optimally today in order to, produce and be, you know, to, to function at your highest vibration, essentially. Mm-hmm. That brings up a really great point. One that continues to come up in a lot of, um, definitely in my lectures, um, because, you know, I focus a huge amount of, well, it's interesting, it, ch- it changes, right? Um, but essentially, the, the principles and the philosophy that I work from, because what I'm noticing with you two is that you two have an interesting complementary focus. And I've, I've been thinking about this principle lately about philosophy and strategy must be working together because what is it was the phrase I, I said strategy without philosophy often becomes fanaticism yeah and philosophy without strategy often becomes like armchair uh, or un, unmeasurable theory mm-hmm. but when you have philosophy that's grounded and then you also have a strategy to carry out your philosophical like ideas or your theories now you have practical wisdom yeah. And a lot of times you have like conscious communication opposed to like fanatic ideas being pushed on people. Yeah. Because you can you can see more pieces of the puzzle, right? And you can see the individuality because your philosophy is is sound. So um so anyways, with that said, this area I'd love to go into is the difference between a therapeutic or healing approach and a, a maintenance and long-term approach because they're not synonymous, but they're both equally important, especially yeah. in our day and age. But but a lot of times they get lumped together as if it's the same thing. You mean like when people go to naturopaths and they're given 
a, a, like a list of 12 supplements and yes. what Josh calls carpet bombing and you're not quite sure what, what, and then actually... I have to get, and then I have to get somebody completely off the whole mm-hmm. protocol and then yeah. rebuild their whole foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I can speak on that. I yes. mean, therapeutic protocols are meant to be, are meant to have a very specific target mm-hmm. for a specific amount of time. And that amount of time is really dictated by how that person responds to the protocol. So when I'm working with someone, we do we have a comprehensive intake, which is about four hours long. And after that, I put their protocol together. And that first protocol, that first step is about a month for most people. It really varies depending on the main concern. But we're using very specific um, foods, diets, and supplements and lifestyle recommendations. Those are sort of the four key areas to create a change in that person in that period of time. And then we have to reassess, you know, when I work with someone, it's like a conversation. And I find that this, there's a huge lack of this in the natural healing world, um, where, you know, a lot of people go to these practitioners and they, they do their intake and they do all these tests and then they get a protocol and there's no follow up. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they're left with this protocol. So, you know, we, we do a therapeutic protocol for the first bit and then we reassess and have they moved in the right direction do changes need to be made? And then we might um, change things up a little bit. And we constantly move towards their goal until they're in a happy place. And that's when we get into maintenance. So oftentimes when people have specific health issues, this is really telling us where their weakest link is, right? Like we all don't break down at the same spot. We break down at different spots. That's why there's so many different conditions and diseases. But they often have very key and similar underlying causes. So then, you know, if someone comes to see me for, say, a digestive issue like inflammatory bowel disease or celiac or something like that, we then know that once we've addressed the main concern and got them into remission or into a place where they want to be, then we can think about their maintenance program. And if it's digestive related, they really have to focus on relaxing and resting and digesting Mm -hmm. when they eat. They have to, you know, maybe they want to take a probiotic on a regular basis. You know, maybe they want to do a bowel cleanse uh, a couple times a year. And that becomes their specific maintenance program to their main concern. Mm. I think it's interesting, too, because, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about different diets and how, I mean, probably me more than you, Josh, but I've gone through so many different different dietary protocols through my healing and then through nutrition school and then, you know, ongoing continues to change is that even the maintenance protocol will often evolve as well as healing, you know, almost like the layers of the onion that after you start healing stuff, you can start going into deeper and deeper levels. And even that maintenance protocol will often evolve over time as well, because there really isn't. And it's really been my experience of one diet that will sustain you from birth till death, Josh always gives the mm-hmm. example that if that was the case, we'd all still be nursing, mm-hmm. that your diet does need to change. And, you know, especially mm-hmm. women go through different stages in their lives to the extreme with, you know, pregnancy and menopause and everything in between and before and after that it, it is important. And, and, you know, I believe really firmly that, you know, we have often a regular person who cuts our hair and who might, you know, check our teeth, but like to have that practitioner that you go to regularly and if they're not working for you you have to find someone else 
Mm-hmm. So if you go and get a bad haircut repeatedly, you probably will find a new hairdresser. If you go to a dentist and all your teeth rot and fall out, you'll probably find a new dentist. But for some reason, oftentimes with health practitioners, people will go to the same person over and over and over again. If you're not getting results, it's not working for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's really important that you that you tune into that. You're not hurting anyone's feelings. It's your health you're dealing with and that you really approach it, you know, from that proactive standpoint in, in mm-hmm. all respects. Yeah, and I'd like to just add something else that when someone's body is out of balance, nothing new is going on. It's not like this disease took over them or this, you know, um, something's either moving too fast or it's moving too slow or it's out of order, right? So you, the gas is either on too much or the brakes on too much. And what nutritional healing is and holistic healing is figuring out where that gas is on and where the brake is on and adjusting that. So once you get their body, their vehicle, moving at the right speed, you get all the processes moving at the right speed, then you can go into a maintenance speed. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, to, to, to distill it down to a specific is, you know, say someone has a vitamin D deficiency and they're experiencing symptoms because of that, we can test their blood, figure out where they're at, use high doses of vitamin D to get them in the optimal range, not the normal range, the optimal range. Right, good distinction. And then we got to dial back on that dosage to get them in a maintenance dose or else they're actually going to become toxic at one point. Right, right. Yeah, a few really good points brought up in this. One of them, actually, this is a really great direction to take. I think it's totally complementary to what, what you're saying here is, A, just the idea that as we, as you know, I use the term evolutionary process. So far, where we're at in human human history, and my observation is a de-evolutionary process based on the evidence. But then there's also the other side where now we, our life, our trajectory of our life is like an evolution of who we're becoming. So psychologically, we're changing. We read new books. We're getting new ideas. We're we're discharging old, outdated ideas and replacing it with new, empowered ideas. Same thing with your nutrition is that you're constructing yourself over and over and you're, you're displacing old whatever toxins yeah. or whatever the case may be. So I feel like from that perspective, if you're not changing, as a, or I should say if your diet doesn't change, it doesn't alter, you're not changing or altering as a person. Mm-hmm. And then just on top of that, um, you know, you mentioned digestive issues and... One of the interesting metaphysical kind of phenomenons that I've seen, the psychosomatic phenomenons that I've seen with digestive issues specifically, is like a psychosclerotic habit where somebody is very hardwired, or they're, they're literally hard in their head, their thinking is very rigid, and then it causes contractive muscular contractions in their neck, in their, their back, their arms, their chest. And then the autonomic functions of your nervous system, the, the involuntary functions like elimination, blood circulation, and digestion become inhibited, and your, your blood is no longer pooling into your digestive system. It's going to your immediate fight-or-flight tissues, like your muscles, and your immune system shuts down. And so you're basically in this like fight-or-flight state, and your digestive system doesn't really work anymore. So... How important have you have have do you think it is, and then also what you've seen with yourself or other people, somebody's actual psychological emotional state related to their digestive or any other health concern? Mm-hmm. 
it's essential that we address that. So um, the first stage of digestion that people don't even realize is before a piece of food actually enters your mouth. The cephalic phase of digestion, which takes into account all the senses, you know, the sight of the food, the smell of the food, the process of making the food, hearing it, you know, sizzle or the blender go or whatever. That's why, you know, people digest so much better when they go out for meals. So if someone is not in the rest and digest mode when they're eating, then they have to, that, that's a very important thing for us to work on. You know, back in the day when we were cavemen and cave women roaming this planet in, in loincloths, we, um, you know, we'd go out, we'd hunt our food, maybe we'd get in the fight or flight mode then. We'd then, you know, haul it back to the cave. We would process it with the community. We would build a fire. We would cook it. We would be socializing. And then we'd eat it. Mm-hmm. Now we have people on the, the window diet where they drive up to a window and they get in and it's quick and they're on the phone and they're texting and their kids are yelling and they're driving in traffic and it doesn't allow the digestive tract to kind of calm down. And this can have profound impacts on health over a period of time that people don't even realize. And then they get reflux and then they get put on proton pump inhibitors, you know, which have a whole other slew of side effects. Um, so going back to your question is the mind is essential when it comes to digestion and digestion is the beginning and the end of everything. Mm-hmm. I think that my experience when I got sick, like I was dealing with what a lot of women are dealing with in their early twenties, like a lot of anxiety and just not sort of knowing what I was going to do with my life. And also, you know, the cycle that of antibiotics and all that stuff that had contributed to, to, you know, dysbiosis that opened the door for an autoimmune disease. But um, part of, I think, my healing and continued healing more than, you know, any acupuncture needles or, you know, any super smoothie was that I got happy Mm. and discovered strategies to cultivate happiness at that point in my life and continue to build on that. And we were just in, you know, just yesterday we were in the the parking lot at the the health food store down the road from you. And someone said to us, like, you guys, I can't stop looking at you. You just look so happy. And we, it wasn't the first time we've heard that. But Josh and I together make this conscious effort every day to cultivate happiness. And yeah, things happen in life. And life isn't always easy breezy. But you know, before we sit down to eat dinner, we always have a prayer of gratitude and whether it's like a real prayer of gratitude mm. or something silly, we take a deep breath and we clink our glasses and we we're happy as we're eating. And, and, you know, we have, we don't ever have TVs on or any of those things. So th- that into and of itself can resolve so much digestive issues. And because of that, you know, that acute connection between the brain and the stomach, the brain and the digestive mm-hmm. system, the mind and the body. Um, you know, it's, it's that, uh, what's it called? The, the, the gut brain, the gut brain access. Yeah. No, but the, the, the trigger that the brain can trigger digestive upset right. and digestive upset can trigger brain upset or anxiety. So mm-hmm. it's that feedback loop. Right. And so if you can, you know, work on both ends of that feedback loop, you know, cultivating calmness, happiness, um, gratitude, joy, love, you know, those positive emotions at the same time, feeding yourself with food that, that contribute to that, you know, getting the good fats in and cooking things yourself and not having chemicals in your food and, and putting that energy into it that alone can heal so much of what we're dealing with. Some of the main 
concerns that come into Josh's office, um, you know, just by changing, you know, our thought patterns at the time of eating will change the way the food responds in the body. Yeah, that, that mind-body connection is really fascinating. Um, the enteric nervous system that has more nerve endings than apparently your spinal cord, and that's like a highway from electrical highway to your brain, right? So if there's like a subluxation we all hear about in chiropractic practices, there's going to be a problem transmitting energy to the brain, but a lot of people don't realize what's going on in your gut is directly transmitting or inhibiting um, neurological function, or possibly what I call candida consciousness, which is kind of another thing, how infections kind of root themselves in the body and then kind of pirate onto our conscious awareness and then kind of use us as a remote control. Um, mm-hmm. So like a lot of times uh, people will have emotional upset or they'll have whatever form of negativity kind of take over them. And then they'll have this urge to go chew on something. They'll have this urge to go eat something to, to, to ease that, that, you know, that agitation, as you will. And what, you know, you said something, you mentioned the word fat. And I was like, oh, we got like, I want to, I want to kind of touch on that for a minute. Because with that, if you understand that everything is being um, dictated by some kind of nerve transmission in some way, what we know about the nervous system is that it requires a coating, like an insulation, like in the myelin sheath, and that's constructed out of certain material. 85% of it is fat-based material. Yeah. So let's talk about that. I know that each one of you has probably had a journey in the, the fat conversation, and it's a big thing now. Um, yeah, how important is is well let's just talk about that from you know some people listening to this may not even be aware that there's been a a lipid controversy a fat controversy in the first place or they may still think that fat is some kind of like enemy yeah do you want to go first yeah i I can start with the biochemistry a little bit biochemistry but you know you know people forget that we are made out of matter right so what is that foundation made out of and when it comes to the nervous system it is mostly fat, as you mentioned, and there's a few fats we need to consider when we think about the nervous system. And just before I get there, people separate these two parts, the mental, emotional, spiritual, with the biochemical. And I always say that for good mental health, you need both of those pillars. Um, And they also both uh, interact with each other. It's bidirectional. But in terms of the foundation... We need good fats to build that nervous system. Our brain is mostly fat. Our, all of our nerves are insulated in fat. And if we, whatever fats we eat, we'll use those to make those tissues. So if we have fats from fries and chips and burgers and cheese and milk and things like that, we're going to have a fryy brain, all right? Um, so we French need, fry brain. We wow. need these good <laughs> omega-3s and these good omega-6s, and we need good phospholipids. And another area which is starting to gain a lot more traction is cholesterol. Um, You know, the brain is about 25% cholesterol as an adult. It's 50% cholesterol as a a child. And um, when people are put on statins or have lower levels of cholesterol, there's higher rates of suicide. There's higher rates of depression. And that is not a coincidence. And, you know, one of the top selling drugs are statins to lower cholesterol. Mm-hmm. So, um, and of course, the top selling drugs are anti de- or antidepressants. So it's like mm-hmm. drugs to, to fight the effects of drugs. 
So we need to, uh, like, it just gets ridiculous. So we need to make sure we build a good foundation, and that involves really good fats from our diet. We became fat-phobic, you know, in the 70s when the American Heart Association pronounced that fat is bad for your heart. And then all of a sudden we had all these terrible fats coming out and it created a huge, huge problem. And now, of course, they're reneging all their commentary and saying that cholesterol is good and fat's good. So fat um, is great as a foundation. You know, that's just one key benefit from fat. And there's there's lots of others as well. You, you briefly touched on, and I'm asking you a question now, because you recently taught me something really interesting about omega-6s, because I think there's a lot in literature about how omega-6s are bad mm-hmm. and pro-inflammatory, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you mentioned they're good. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like a really important clarification to make. Absolutely. Um, you know, everything in the body has to be in balance. And because, you know, people like to go to the extremes, everyone's gotten so heavy on fish oil, which is omega-3s. But in fact, for full body balance, you need about a ratio of about 3 to 1 omega-6 to omega-3. So you actually need more omega-6s. Now, most of the omega-6s people are getting in foods are destroyed. They're heated, they're cooked, they're baked, they're fried. So they're not actually getting good omega-6s. They're getting whatever they do get are destroyed. So it's putting people in a major imbalance. Um, and also people are consuming way too much of the omega-6s. About, uh, about a tw- there's, I've seen in a couple different pieces of literature, anywhere from 20 to 1 omega-6 to omega-3 to 40 or 50 to 1, which really sets the body up for inflammation. But as Megan was just pointing out, um, we can swing the other way and we can consume way too many omega-3s and then put the omega-6s out of balance. So, you know, mm-hmm. the body's all about balance and we don't want too much of anything. This brings up a really cool point for me, and I've never heard it actually discussed until I got deep into what I do now, which is cyclic fasting, which is basically eating one meal a day. And um, it's a really incredible uh, thing that I've been working with and navigating through. But the basic principle that I've really come up with is this this concept of um, autophagy, which is defined as self-catabolism or self-digestion. It's basically the principle that all healing through fasting works with, but has only recently now actually been um, kind of defined as in how the body self-processes excess material, so like excess protein deposits, excess um, rancid fats and oils. And the reason I bring that up is because as you're discussing the pros and potential cons of even omega-3 oils, which are polyunsaturated, so they're very susceptible to um, heat, heat um, intolerance. So they, they become rancid very quickly. And one of the cool things that's come across my radar is this term called accelerated lipooxidation. So we hear about like accelerated glycation end products associated with like diabetes and stuff. But this basically what this ALE is basically saying is that one of the big keys to preventing oxidative stress or rusting in the body is actually improving the efficiency of how our body processes food as fuel, like metabolizes it, absorbs it, and then eliminates all the waste products that are unusable. And so like when you have these, it's very easy for people to to create general statements in the nutrition world. And that's kind of a pet peeve of mine of how people just lump things together. Like, Omega-3s, as if it's one thing. And then Mm -hmm. nobody has a conversation about 
you know, LED lighting on that fish oil that's not, that's in some kind of like a jar that light penetrates through and nobody knows how long that's been on there. Nobody knows where the fish is coming from that may be contaminated with mercury, plastic and radioisotopes, etc. It's like we have this thing where we're, we're taking things at face value, mm-hmm. but we don't really realize that there, there, is, there could be an inefficiency in the body and how it processes it. Um, and this obviously could go like as deep as it wants to go. But I think why I'm bringing this up and to, to, to conclude this thought or maybe to evolve this thought is that, um, that just because, or let me, let me, uh, rephrase that. Um, it's, I feel like it's very important to, to provide distinctions opposed to because people are busy or lazy and they mm-hmm. don't really, they don't, they hear fish oil, but they don't really know the difference between like a fish oil on, in whole foods and a pharmaceutical grade fish oil that's actually been purified or maybe like omega, um, algae oils or what the different options are. Yeah. I think too, I mean, I, in November, I was doing a talk in Calgary, um, for my book. And one woman asked the question at the end and I was sort of dumbfounded. She said, do you use oil in your book? And cause she was under a protocol from a certain well-known doctor who eliminates a hundred percent of the fat in people's diets. And I'm sure I'm, I'm actually, I'm not sure, but I, I'm guessing they get their weight loss results that they're after with that. And I'm sure that that would work for a short period of time. I'm also quite confident they would be miserable, that it's unsustainable, that their hormones would run amok, their mood and libido would go down the drain with the egg yolks. But I I was just sort of astounded that, you know, there is still that culture out there that is fearing the fat and the diet, despite the amount of evidence that says how much fat we need and that we need a lot more than ever thought. And that even on a strictly plant-based diet, it can be difficult to get the amount of fat that you that you actually need specifically for women to produce healthy hormone balance. And so many women, as I mentioned earlier, are dealing with mood issues and libido issues and hormonal imbalance and infertility. And I recently wrote about this on my blog about my fat-fueled breakfast and the, how I've evolved. And, and it's taken a lot of education from Josh, too, because um, there's still that stigma that, like, you know, the fat on your tushy is the same as the fat that you're eating and they should have a different name because it's a very different process. But it took a long time to evolve to a confidence level to increase the fat in my diet. And it's made all the difference in my health. And I think that that, you know, there are the fish oils you can take and, you know, there's supplements you can take for it but let's try and get it in our food. Right, right. And, you know, I've been heaping ghee into everything that I eat. Like, I can't <laughs> get enough revolution. of it. The ghee revolution. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I honestly, like, I have, like, two tablespoons in my morning hot drink. I can't get enough of it. Um, but it just changes so much. And I think yeah. that when we start to understand how food actually functions in our body, um, it will shift us away from, you know, thinking a healthy diet is, and I was once, I remember so clearly I was doing a talk, it was a raw food event in Toronto and I had brought this hot lentil soup 
And, like, you know, it was March in Toronto. It's freezing cold and damp, and I'm going to have a hot cup of soup. <laughs> and this, I offered to share with the woman beside me. She said, no, I'm on the raw food diet. And she was eating this date avocado mm. coconut cake, like one of those pies. You're in a damp condition, and you're feeding a damp condition. And it was just one of those things. You get so stuck on a paradigm right. that is not going to sustain your health. And so with the fat thing, I'm like, eat more fat. Please. And a great book is Big Fat Surprise. And I know it turns a lot of people mm. off because it has, I think, like a roast rack of bone, meat, animal, something on the cover. But it's not about eating a lot of animals. It's about eating fat and nutrition is, research this, around fat. Yeah, this is a great I'm gonna I'm gonna hand this off to both of you, but this is a great point. I'm all about distinctions. I learned that I was raised with like success philosophy from like the age of 11 or something. I got introduced to that big, huge dude on some infomercial named Tony Robbins. And I got so deep into that stuff. And one of the things I took out of that is that the key to success is, is distincting between what it works and what doesn't essentially. And so in the nutrition world, as we're alluding to in this conversation, there's very little distinctions and there's all kinds of general statements that totally perplex people. And what you just brought up there is one of the things that I had to distinct for myself is that as a vegetarian, and I've been back and forth in my own journey, um, in a raw food enthusiast, superfoodist, whatever, herbalist, um, when I heard things like that, like the, the fat, you know, these, these, these proclamations of, of fat-based diets, like ketogen, the ketogenic diet, whatever. And I, I would look at them and be like, wow, it's all like super focused on like flesh foods or, or high animal fat foods. And a lot of people just assume, especially in the vegan camps, they just assume that that's what they're all talking about. They don't realize that there's all kinds of options on the menu board of nature. Yeah. Um, and uh, absolutely, going with that? Yeah. I think though too that like there's also that movement in, in like paleo ketogenic that like so that means that bacon ice cream is you. a delicious idea just, and that's just... perfect on yes. the diet plan and there is that spectrum thank you. and there's still a sustainability <laughs> measure and there's still like you know you know I mentioned how you know we're in Canada and in January to get the majority of your calories from coconuts and avocados is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, it's taking way more calories to get that food to us than we get eating it. And so, you know, it was a, it was a process for me to start to introduce some animal food, Mm -hmm. animal foods back into my diet. But one of the things that made the most sense was that these are things I can get around the corner, you know, Mm -hmm. within a hundred miles from my home rather than something that had to be flown from thousands of miles away. And for us, you know, I don't get the majority of my calories from kale. Like that would be impossible. (laughs) impossible. And so when you start looking at a diet that's going to be sustainable, like there are the extremes, there's ketogenic and there's autoimmune paleo and there's, there's specific therapeutic protocols, but you ultimately, at least for me and for my undiet approach is looking at, you know, what works for me and my health, what works for you and your health. And is it supportive and is it sustainable long-term? Could everyone in my community eat the way I eat and not, wreak havoc on the environment Mm. and and that's part of the balance that has always gone into it and I've swung as I mentioned you know I've done you know strictly vegan diet I've done a strictly raw diet I've gone through all of it and ultimately it it had to come down to how did I feel and can I do this long term Mm. ongoing and and allow it to evolve Mm -hmm. and that the bacon ice cream is a treat and nothing more than that and I don't eat ice cream (laughs) I I don't go there but it's that idea that you can take 
the parameters around any diet and mold them to your own addictions and Thank rationalize you. and justify whatever mm. you want. And I think people who are on strict dietary protocols, myself included, have the biggest hypocrisies in their life because we want to make work what we want to make work and we'll find ways to, to justify that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is when everyone was eating their indigenous diet, they lived in very specific parts of the world. The Inuit lived in the north. The, you know, people around the equator lived around there. You know, there was an international travel. So for hundreds of years, people built their diet around what was in their immediate area. And I would take it that if, you know, an East African ate the diet of an Inuit and vice versa, they would both crumble in their environment. Now, obviously, you know, people have moved around the globe so much more over the past 200 years that we've all sort of lost track fully of what our indigenous diet is. So people trying different diets, vegan, vegetarianism, lacto-ovo, paleo, is kind of almost searching for your, your ancestry and, and what actually fuels your genetics the best way possible. And also because of all the stresses in our world and the way our lives change over time, that can also change over a life cycle, as Megan was mentioning earlier, more obvious with women, but also with men as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, Josh and I, and we didn't really realize this until we moved in together, which I don't know how long ago that was, five years maybe, four years, Um, but your metabolic type will play a huge role as well. And, you know, Josh is fairly lean and I'm prone to have a little more jiggle in my wiggle. And (laughs) and like, I literally eat a third of the calories that Josh eats. Mm. And it was like learning to understand that and tune into that. And, you know, your personal experience is always your best teacher. And, and the first time we went traveling, I was like, how can you eat so much? Like, I've never seen anyone eat this much in my life. And it's like, where is he putting it all? (laughs) And it was learning that like, you know, to tune in and, and figure out, you know, what is the best breakfast that will sustain you till lunch Mm -hmm. and what's the best lunch Mm -hmm. and what's the best dinner. Or if you're doing fasting, does that work for you? Or is your blood crasher, blood sugar crashing so hard that it's elevating your cortisol levels and that's negating any benefit and really figuring out what works for your ancestry, for your metabolic type, for where you're at in life, for what your day is looking like, what the season is like. It's, you know, it's so simple that we've made it so overly complicated. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I, I found it's funny actually through this conversation, you know, even, even when I think of what I'm doing now, it took me, it took me a long time to even get to this place. Um, mentally, let alone physically, where I can pretty much fast on a whim, which is a skill. It's actually a skill that I've developed inside myself where I intentionally developed that because I knew that, you know, um, if anything were to happen with our food supply or anything um, and we need to regroup for a couple of days, I would auto, I would be okay because I could turn that back on. And just for me, I feel like that, that feels really amazing for me. Um, but it took me like seven or eight years of doing raw foods and cleansing protocols and certain supplementation and then like saturating myself with ungodly amount of like concentrated superfoods and then tonic herbs and, you know, the whole thing. And so I found now I'm at a place where, funny enough, I, I the only calories I really find myself consuming up until like five, six or seven are fat. 
mm-hmm. you know, in the form of like ghee or maybe yeah. coconut oil, and then I'll run on that. But at the same time, I'm not in a, a straitjacket because of where I was yesterday. Yeah. Like I'm not taking my past into my present. Every day is a new, I say a new prayer in the morning and I let it guide me. And then if I feel it like, you know, out of protocol, like, man, I need to get like a little more protein. Maybe, let me make a quick little, like little drink or something. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I heap the ghee into my morning elixir <laughs> and that could fuel me like until two o'clock if I let it. I try not to let it go that far because I'm working on really stabilizing my blood sugar thanks mm. to my protocol with Josh. Mm. Um, but yeah, like when you figure out what works for your body and you know how to fuel yourself optimally to feel how you want to feel every day and to be able to sleep how you want to sleep every night, that's really incredible. Mm. Um, and, you know, even for, for me, knowing what I know and, and being an educator now and, and doing that kind of work, it, it does take time and it takes evaluating and it takes trial and error a lot. And you are will always be your own best health guru, always. Right. Definitely, yeah. I mean, probably some people listening to this right now are thinking, well, how do you figure it out? Like, how do you know where you're at? And I have to tell them a couple things. Firstly, we're still figuring it out. You know, we're still fine-tuning and trying to figure out what's best for us. But um, you are your best guinea pig. You know, the body uh, speaks a wonderful language. You know, we're speaking English here today, and that's mm-hmm. how we're communicating. But the body speaks a language of symptom. And if we can learn to listen to that, we could really learn to fine-tune the, this machine we call the body as well. And of course, when I work with my clients, I'm helping them to discover that a lot quicker, mm-hmm. right? Um, but, you know, if you don't know what the right diet is for you, try veganism for a little bit. Try, you know, lacto-ovo vegetarianism. Mm-hmm. Try paleo. Um, try high fat. Try high carb. Just do it for a period of time. Mm-hmm. See how you feel and see what works best with you. Yeah. Just don't tattoo any of those diets onto your body. <laughs> chances are good. It's going to change. Yeah. I know a few people that have, um, one of my friends, he, he's <laughs> one of the, he's one of the, the leading salespeople for health force. Yeah. He has yeah. vegan on his neck. I once, um, you know, I once tried to, there was someone I at a health show that I was like, I want to date that guy. And he had vegan tattooed on the back of his neck. And I was like, I wonder if that could change to Megan. Like if we change the V to an M, if we can make this work. <laughs> but, you know, within those experimentations within a diet and, and what I try and go through in, in my books and, and with my courses, that there are some parameters that become non-negotiable, that right. we're not going to have conventional food. We're not going to eat chemicals. We're not having GMOs. We're not having processed dairy. We're not having margarine and flavor enhancers and MSG. Like it's not like, oh, this diet didn't work. I'm going to go back to the supermarket, shop the aisles, get all the crap back in and then reassess later. It's like once there's these areas of your life that are predetermined and they're Mm non-negotiable that we're going to drink our clean water and we're going to, you know, take on those practices that becomes the main guideline. And then within that, you can tweak and pull and, and, you know, learn from things, but you're still ultimately living a a happy, healthy, sustainable, conscious lifestyle. Totally. Yeah. Me and Megan, we were putting a course together for her program, the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program on foods for healing and diets for healing. And we were going through the different principles of each one. And Oh, you the know, therapeutic, therapeutic diets. Therapeutic we're diets, at, yeah. yeah. So we're looking at paleo, the elimination diet, mm-hmm. acute yeah. healing, anti-inflammatory. 
and discussing the time and the place for each one. And, uh, you know, as when we were, you know, sort of summarizing everything, we're like, well, what do all of these have in common? I mean, it's right. pretty obvious. Um, just exactly what Megan said a, a moment ago. There's no processed foods. There's no sugar. There's no colorings. There's no additives, preservatives. No you try to go organic. There, yeah, gluten. in all of them, there was, was the- there was no gluten. So you get um, these commonalities, and that's often why a lot of these diets work. So, you, you know, you have someone with a specific health issue, and they go vegan, and they have, you know, they feel great. They might also feel great on a paleo because they are eliminating all of that mm, stuff. Yeah. And um, just by that elimination, um, they they realize some really great health benefits from that. Mm-hmm. That's, from, no, go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying, then from there, what you look at doing is, okay, I've, I've healed this main concern. You either are on a maintenance protocol or you look at what can I actually now sustain? So maybe you do the GAPS protocol or the WALLS protocol and those work really well and you're feeling awesome, but is that sustainable? Right. Maybe not. Not if you want to still socialize or you want to go to a restaurant or you want to go to someone's house for dinner. So what is actually sustainable within those, you know, general guidelines that you can keep going ongoing? Because I think what happens too often is you go to these extremes and that pendulum keeps swinging back and forth and back and forth, which is stressful. And that stress is more harmful than anything. I feel like that that yo-yoing that happens is a cause of two things. Physically, it throws the metabolism so far to one end to the other that your metabolic signature, your metabolic um, uh, intelligence is is in a state of confusion for very simplified non-biochemical terms it's just very it, it doesn't know what it's like whoa you're just swinging this way that way i don't even know how to how to kind of react to that so you have to stabilize right you have to stabilize with one thing for a long enough time where you get the 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 indication that you know there's time to either add something in or remove something whatever so i love that point that you make about the commonality between all these these um, effective diets in one way or another is that they're elimination-based diets, which is the same conclusion I came to as well. And then the other part that I want to uh, I want to throw back to both of you, which I've been looking at from the the psychological perspective, because I'm really convinced after looking at all the the stuff on the internet and all the people out there saying this thing that thing about health, and then working with people too. Ninety percent of diet, in my opinion, is psychological. And it has to do with your your hierarchy um, of values. So, like you said, I'm you know there's certain quality of water that is non-negotiable. There's certain foods and the elimination of certain food byproducts that's non-negotiable. Like I'm not going to eat crap. Yeah, that's not like a question to me, right? No. So your hierarchy of values is what is like the center the center pinning for your behavior. And once you have that in check, then your actions become like effortless, right? Exactly. And I think, you know, what often surprises us is, and we try and always be as true in our social media and our blog posts and videos and the content we teach to how we actually live. Right. And I feel like that's so fundamentally important because I know, I'm sure we all know of a lot of experts who promote a certain lifestyle and a certain way of eating that is not sustainable and that is not what they're practicing. It's not actually what they're or doing. Or that it's changed yeah. for them, but they can't say it because they built a business off a different totally. paradigm. And I think it's really dangerous. 
because if it didn't work for them, it's not going to work for their quote unquote disciples, the people who are following them. <laughs> and, you know, to have that honesty, I think is, is really important that that you know, and, and in doing that, that you're being honest with yourself, just because you're part of a community doesn't necessarily mean that you need to, or have to, or should eat exactly the way as anyone else, even a community of a household, a family, everyone's going to have their own specific It's kind needs. of a tribalism, right? Like yeah. if you're not part of the tribe or you don't adhere to the behaviors of the tribe, you're not one of us. Mm-hmm. So we're going to kick you out. Yes. Yeah. 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 I love what you said about, you know, looking at the values and the psychological aspect as the foundation to diet, because, you know, a big part of what I do with my clients is, you know, it, it's one thing to tell someone, this is the diet you need to follow. It's going to help you. But it's another thing to educate them as to the why. When you explain the why, the how takes care of itself. So when I'm working with people, I spend a lot of time with them just discussing the principles behind what they have to do. And as a starting point, I always like to get a diet diary, at least four days. And I like to see them at their worst because I like to see Mm. where their set point is. You know, I'll even ask them that when we're reviewing the diet diary, I'll say, because sometimes, you know, people will eat a certain way if they know they're having to record it. I'll say, you know, okay, when you're at your worst, you've forgotten to make a meal, you're stressed, you don't have time, where are you going to go to get your food? And maybe they say McDonald's or Subway or something. And then I know that that's where their set point is, right? That's how bad they can go. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Whereas yeah. <laughs> for Megan and I, if we're like stuck in an airport or something and, you know, we have nowhere to eat and like we have like very few options. There's no way we would ever get McDonald's or Subway. Like it's just not in our vocabulary. We'd Mm -hmm. find like some nuts somewhere that might've been roasted and salted or something. (laughs) So, so that's our set point and everyone has a different set point and that says a lot about where they'll go over the long term. You know, it's all about the long game here. So, you know, when, Life does get stressful. You kind of go back to your set point. And when I'm working with people, we really, you know, it's easy to follow something for a few days, a few weeks or a month or something. But over the long term, it becomes a lot more harder. And, you know, what you said, the values and principles that those are based on become so key for the longevity of that healthy diet. And I I think that the same principles apply to and one of the things that I hear a lot from my students is, you know, when they go through my program, um, which is very intense, it's 14 weeks that their spouses or partners or kids start to revolt against the foods they're bringing into the home. And this uh-huh. can often happen to with, when, when Josh works with his clients, one of the most powerful things is if you can get everyone in it together, that everyone becomes part of, of working with that transition. And that education goes so far that if people can understand why they're doing it, and people include small people like children, that if you explain to them, you know, if we eat this food, you know, the farmer who's growing that food is more likely to get cancer and their kids could be born with birth defects. And if you explain all that to them, Children understand a lot more than we give them credit for. And spouses will understand a lot more. If you explain the why, then it's not just about like, well, my doctor told me to do this or my naturopath or my nutritionist said, you know, this is what I'm supposed to eat and blah, blah, blah. And it's going to make my life miserable. It's not going to work. It's like we're elevating ourselves here by doing this and we're supporting our community and we're supporting our planet and, you know, really stressing you know, the why so that people understand, you know, it's almost like you're telling them 
this is a change you should probably consider. This is why I'm recommending it. And then it's up to them to decide whether that value resonates with them. Mm -hmm. And at the core, the values of living a better life resonate with everybody. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants less chemicals in their life. They want less sickness. They want less suffering. They want less death for themselves and the people in their environment and their community and the world that, that that resonates at a different level. And so that that set point then gets elevated to a point of being like, I can't support that. I can't support that company. I don't want to contribute to that. Um, and, and that really can help revolutionize and create that long-term lasting effective mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes that does take some time. I mean, thinking back to Megan and I's, um, evolution with gluten, you know, the first time you uh, hear gluten might not be that good. You're like, what? You know, I eat sandwiches and pasta and cereal. It's like everything I eat. It's, it's like, there's no way I can take that out. And then oh, you start to take some out and maybe yeah. you switch your breads and you learn more. And then maybe you get a point where you've eliminated it for a couple of days and then you're at a party and someone serves bread and you eat it. And then you kind of go back and forth. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. but you know, from the place that we've been, we've also had the benefit of reviewing um, quite a bit of research and listening to other speakers and interviewing people and uh, educating people on it. So we get exposed to more and more of the actual research and that help, has helped reinforcement too but it definitely was an evolution up to a point where we're like no more gluten that is now our set point it's not even a question yeah and it's been a few years now since we haven't had yeah, any gluten but that's just an example that applies to so many different things i mean i first i first went gluten-free in 1995 mm. i was diagnosed with um diphthemia form of depression and most people were like you were depressed just like I was and I did my own research at the library in 1995 because I there wasn't really the internet um and I read that gluten could it was like one little line in some medical textbook or some article and so I eliminated gluten in 1995 where I didn't know what quinoa was like it wasn't available I was eating rice cakes and margarine uh-huh. was like uh-huh. the core of my diet and obviously I didn't I felt better mentally, but physically it wasn't helping. Um, and so I sort of went back and forth. When I was healing from Crohn's, I went off gluten, then I got better and I could eat it again. And then we were at a restaurant in LA and um, the table beside us had ordered this basket of bread with these like dips. And I was the like, it's organic, oil. it's yeah. organic bread. It's, uh, how bad could it be? And the next day I was exhausted. Like there was no other explanation for it. And Josh, who's always very like, mild-mannered, well-tempered, was, like, depressed for three mm. days. And he was just like, I was like, what do you want to do? He was like, I don't know. It's like, we can't. And, like, after, that was the last time. It was two that and a half years last. ago. So you, you hit your um, threshold, basically, yeah. mm-hmm. what you're willing to tolerate in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we knew. Like, we'd felt it. We It was around the same time you'd interview Dr. Tom O'Brien, who laid down some mm. serious evidence. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, we're done. Like, there is no benefit to it. And at this point, like, it's not even tempting. You know, we have Friday night dinners with our family, and they bring out the big challah. And we're like, it's not... We're just almost astounded when we watch everyone consume this cake in the form of bread. Um, and it's just not... And it's one of those things that you raise that set point, and it just becomes a non-negotiable and... I don't feel deprived in the least mm-hmm. for having anything. There's nothing I want. We are actually at um, at an event in Venice, and uh, the Jing Slingers mm-hmm. were there, mm-hmm. and they made these cake donut things. Oh, and we're like, yeah. this is amazing. This is gluten-free. It's so fluffy. Like, 
it just changes the paradigm. It changes what what you love and what you want to have in your body. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it comes from that understanding. And, you know, that's why podcasts like this are so important that empower people with the knowledge so they can make the decisions that make, they make the most sense for themselves. And those are the ones that are going to stick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's such an important just conversation to just expand upon because one of the things, and I mentioned this before we started recording, is that the purpose of this podcast is not to perpetuate an agenda. Like, I certainly have my own philosophy and my own um, articulation of an idea that I use um, when I'm speaking about something I believe in, right? But but this, although it is the Ronnie Landis podcast, it's not the Ronnie Landis show in that way that I'm here to bring on other people that that confirm my own bias you know it's Mm -hmm. kind of the opposite of that well in some cases that if we resonate as human beings then let's do it and let's explore um, more conscious awareness and bring that to the fold and I don't necessarily see that all the time with a lot of podcasts I think what the tendency is to to have pretty much the same lineup of people that are already kind of placed on a pedestal and then to ask them the same questions that everyone asks them and have the same regurgitated uh, conversations, right? So then when I I have people like you over and I have other people over that have done a lot of interviews and whatever, I'm really interested in in actually just exploring the fringes of of possibilities that this conversation can go in. And, And again, taking it, taking it in a different direction than many may be comfortable with of like, let's just talk about the food. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the food and how that relates to our value system. Cause I'm really interested in, in full human optimization and full human transformation. Cause it's like the reality for me personally is that we don't really live in a time of convenience, although we call it that, it's not really that. We don't have the convenience to be apathetic, um, to to be yeah. super reserved in our life. We actually have to make some new decisions, not just because we want to transform ourselves, but because we're unified in a collective. So every decision that we make from our thought process, you know, changing our thoughts affects the people around us. It affects Um, You know, it affects the dynamic of the collective. And that's something I just want to put out there for anyone listening. And in this conversation is what we're talking about isn't just about um, kind of a boring conversation about how can I change myself? How can I be better? How can we all be better by transforming ourselves first and then letting that that permeate into our family, into our community and so forth? Yeah. I always target it with happiness. Yeah. I'm like, you know, the transformation optimizing your lifestyle, all of that stuff is awesome and powerful. It has to keep you happy because mm. if it's, if it's creating suffering or, you know, isolation or, you know, at, at a time too, changing your diet does create a little bit of isolation, but you usually find your tribe, you know, you, 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 you res, you find the people that will resonate at that level. And there's often a little bit of a, a sticky transition period, <laughs> but ultimately, you know, this is, this is our day. This is what we're doing today. And if we're not happy doing it, if we're not creating happily, um, no amount of, you know, I always say you you can't drink a smoothie or eat a quinoa salad or kale salad angry, resenting it. You know, I'm sitting here alone now because I've isolated myself from everyone. And now this kale salad is going to heal everything in my life. It won't do it. If, if it doesn't bring you happiness, 
and and you know that's that's always the approach that that we take um, when we start making decisions. And you know, while we've been traveling, you talk about how it's you know it's not really the time of convenience. We're just like we walk by these bars at sunset. We're like, oh, it'd be so fun to be able to like sit and have a beer and some chips. But it's just like it's just not gonna happen. Like until there's like that elixir bar at the yeah. beach serving you know the kale chips and whatever. It's just not gonna happen. And yeah. you know we can't just grab things at the side of the road. We've been traveling to cooler in the back of our car for the last two weeks so that we have lunch with us. And it is those intentional decisions. And ultimately, though, for us, it's like it's brought us so much joy, even just this trip, like sitting, having picnics in random places because we're hungry. We've got the food with us. It's food we know will feel good after and can carry on with our day. That, that it's that, you know, that the inconvenience has created some level of convenience for us mm. that, that we've made it work and, and feel good. And that's ultimately what we continue to strive towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, yeah, what you said with, you know, starting with the self and that spreading out, I think, um, you know, when you do that, when you just kind of, you know, represent it for all it's worth for you, uh, people notice, right? So like, I get lots of stories from clients where, you know, their, their family was resistant at first and then they just kind of gave up and they'd make their food and eventually, you know, their kids started to ask questions or their husband asked questions and they wanted to help cook it. Or stories where people take their food to the lunch place or to work and people are like, oh my God, you take your food every day. You're like the healthy one. And then at first they make fun of them a little bit. And then, you know, they ask questions. And then, you know, I I heard from someone the other day where like now they have like a lunch club where each day one person brings lunch for everyone. So they just have to think about it for one day a week, which is really cool. I had that in my Undiet book. My first book was like a tip. And I'm, I feel so happy when people actually start to do it because, like, yeah. it's such an easy thing to do that you get. Like, because, you know, I, I don't know if either of you ever worked in a corporate environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that, you know, habits perpetuate in a corporate environment so easily that, that you know, if there's, like, the candy store and people do the candy store run or the coffee shop run. But if you start to perpetuate these habits in your workplace, it can transform. And I get, like, my Staples um, office supply form and it's always like there's a section on the break room snacks i'm like who would why would any employer buy this stuff for their team to eat werther's originals and skittles on their break to fuel a functional workforce doesn't make any sense but it's that idea that you know we can we can create those healthy habits and one thing further from what what josh had said about you know when clients have those stories about things that are happening what i also think is really cool and we've both experienced this especially with, with my certification program, that people will share the videos with their kids. They'll start watching it with their kids. And so their kids start coming out to our lectures and our events, and, like, they draw pictures of us and have the, there's one kid who does, like, an imitation of Josh, which is really cute, and they filmed it. Um, but there's, there's, you know, there's that component of sharing it and empowering the whole family and bringing everyone into it or empowering your workplace that, like, the knowledge that we all share with the work we do isn't intended for the one person listening. It's like they become that seed, that ambassador of it to share it and ideally share it in a way that's non-judgmental, that's kind, inclusive, joyful, um, and, and that will invite people to join when they're ready. No one's being forced into anything, but to just bring that in and, and be that, you know, be that force of, of positive change. Yeah, mm. and more on a philosophical level. I believe everything moves towards the truth, Mm -hmm. right? There's a flow Mm -hmm. always towards the truth. 
Um, so, you know, health, healthy lifestyle, healthy living, healthy food, I believe is the truth, you know, um, processed food, fast food, things like that is the lie. It's what we've been sold. So we are seeing, I think this major shift happening in our society where people are becoming aware, um, you know, like McDonald's offers more salads and stuff now. And, you know, another example, which I often... Although their kale salad, the picture they had, actually yeah. didn't have kale in it. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> see, but they're moving they're, in the they're right trying. direction. They're lying to They're health watching. Yeah. They're using the word first. Yeah. <laughs> but again, you know, some move faster and some move slower. So one of the things I often say to Megan is that there's so many doctors, MDs, medical doctors that are now going the functional medicine route and becoming naturopaths right. or learning herbology or functional medicine, you don't see anyone who says, you know, I've been a naturopath for five or six years or, and it's just not working. I'm going to go to medicine, huh. right? Like it doesn't move in that direction. Yeah. It always moves towards the truth. And, you know, recently the Cleveland Clinic has taken on a functional medicine department. I mean, that is huge. So I think we are moving towards and just that's more on a macroscopic level, but on a microscopic level in your own little world, if you do what you can, the best way you can do it, it spreads. It's just contagious. Yeah, that's, you know, people have a habit of discounting the small wins which, which the small things make up the big things, right? So, like, the, the, the idea for me that I could transform my life is, is monumental. Mm-hmm. And me personally, I've had to go through many different identities throughout, throughout my life. And, and yet there's a perseverance element. There's, a, there's an element to mo- keep moving forward that, that creates the miracle. And the, so for me, looking at my life, just as me, it's amazing to be like, whoa, like I am, I am unrecognizable to the person I used to be. And I, and, and many times over, and I'm sure that'll be the case next year and five years. And, and so to have that positive reinforcement, and it's not that you're in, you know, people think a lot of times that, oh, well, I'm telling myself a little fib, like I'm going to fake it to make it kind of thing. It's like, no, 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 no. you're going to, you're going to feel it until you reveal it feel into the reality that you are a changing person that you're exchanging quote-unquote bad habits for good habits and then ride the momentum when I was doing the media for my book in the fall like the most common question after like what does on diet mean um but the most common question was do you ever cheat and it's such a crazy question to me because it's like what would I be cheating on except my own well-being and happiness like what is how is cheating worth that if my spouse Mr. Josh over here cheated on me Uh, it'd be done right so why would I then cheat on yourself yeah so it's just one of those things and there's this you know the the whole diet thing is this idea that like you know you have a day off or your cheat day or the 80 20 or whatever it is but Uh like let's not give ourselves that permission to disrespect ourselves in that way and just continue doing our very best in every given moment, in every given day, every choice counts. And yes, not every choice is going to be optimal, but then we learn from that choice, not just like in what we're putting in our face, what we're eating, but you know, how we respond in that situation that like, you know, that was an ideal. I'm going to, I recognize that wasn't an ideal response to have in that situation, but I'm going to work to do better Mm. the next time that experience comes up. And it's just that idea that, you know, like you said, like we can continue to, 
evolve and that's how you can continue not necessarily to fully reinvent yourself right. but to continue to re-evolve yourself into you know your best representation of your being and mm-hmm. who you are and I know that when I started teaching cooking classes in this little tiny kitchen eight years ago this wasn't what I thought was going to result from it. I had no idea, but it was just every day. It felt like the right thing to do. And when it no longer felt like the right thing to do that day, felt like doing something a little bit different and it just evolved into what it is. And we've both experienced that in our personal lives and our practice. I mean, when I met Josh many, many moons ago, he had no idea he was going to have to marry me, but that was just what was in the stars. And I knew that every day if I made choices to bring him a little bit closer, it would evolve into that. Yeah, true. This is how women think, isn't it? Yeah, oh, totally. Right yeah. yeah, I mean, on that too, um, yeah, with what's going on in the world today, like if sometimes I get interviewed by students like for projects or whatever, and they ask me, what's your five-year plan? I'm like my five-year plan if I'm doing what I think I'm going to do in five years like if I if I'm doing that then I'm in big trouble like I want to have like a one day or one week or one year plan because things are changing so fast and Mm. today I'm in a place where I would have never thought I'd been in five years ago um and then just I also want to make a comment on on cheating oh Um, you're gonna talk about on love we can get to love um (laughs) (laughs) um is that you know you know, we're on vacation right now. And when Megan and I go on vacation, we plan a lot about where we're going based on the food that we can have there and uh, how, how, you know, what type of activities we can do. When we go on vacation, we want to come back more energized, more creative, more vibrant, uh, ready to get back into our life than, than when we left. Um, And the whole idea of going on vacation and just like, you know, sitting around the whole time and drinking alcohol and like partying is like possibly both, both of our worst nightmare. Yeah. Uh And in fact, so much so that one of uh, our friends, um, had, was, was having a destination wedding a number of years ago, a very close friend of mine. And they were going to an all-inclusive resort, which is probably one of my personal nightmares. Um, and instead of me and Megan going, we bought an infrared sauna. I was like, we can use half of what it will cost us to get there to get an infrared sauna. Yeah. And then it's like going to Mexico every night of the week. And yes. especially in Canada, like to get that heat in the winter is so powerful. And and just one more thing, like I have to say, like it totally broke my heart that I couldn't go to this friend's wedding and be a part of that. But it's so majorly uh, conflicted with my values yes. that I couldn't go. It wasn't even an option. Yeah. Yeah. We actually um, may or may not have snuck into a big resort on Kauai the other day. Um, uh-huh. Okay. Well, we did because I have to say we were there and we were just, <laughs> we're like, let's, let's go lounge by a pool. It's kind of fun. Um, but like looking around, it, it yeah. made us sad at mm-hmm. how unwell and disconnected everybody was. And yeah. so much spray sunscreen. I'm like, stop mm. with the sprayable sunscreen. <laughs> but like, but you know, when, cause we choose, you know, we work with people who have come to us for their guidance. So they're already a little bit open and we live in a really awesome community where people are very conscious, you know, not necessarily of their diet to the extreme we are, but environmentally yeah. and, you know, have similar values. Um, that it's rare that we are in an environment with, 
with with people in America is, you know, quite different than Canada as a baseline, but that are just, you know, makes us sad that there's so much disconnection um, when, and disconnection to a place of, of more suffering and of less happiness and of less gratitude and less enjoyment um, when that connection is, it's like, it's just a change in, in a thought pattern that can shift everything. Yeah, you're basically speaking to how important it is to prioritize your life and your experience. And yeah. if that, if your priorities are conflicting with something like that, even though, you know, most people would assume that it's an obligation or a duty that they go to their friend's um, wedding or something, um, you know, if that conflicts with your personal guidance system, then, yeah. you know, that's going to infringe upon something for you in some way, then that, that becomes a non-negotiable yeah. thing. And that's essentially what we are talking about with the food and the lifestyle thing is that, that those little choices um, make a big deal. And then also one of the things I see with people, and we'll have to kind of um, round it out now as we're, we're, we're approaching the conclusion, but, um, you know, just how important it is that people take sovereignty over themselves. They liberate themselves from the the so-called duties of the world and of other people's agendas and priorities. And um, they, 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 you know, they take that time for themselves to find out what's important to them. And also, like you pointed out, Josh, what is going to be required of them to do daily in order to actually, you know, create the, the, the dreams that they have for themselves essentially. So uh, with that thought and everything we've discussed, I would love to hear maybe two or three principles or tips that each one of you would recommend to people. Um, in any case, will you go first? Sure. I'll go first. (laughs) Um, I would first like to, based on, you know, a lot of what we've spoken about in my work with people is you are in 100% control of your health and you need to understand that no one has your health in their best interest except for you. So you should base all your decisions around that. Um, Also, in relation to what we talked about, you're your best guinea pig. So try things on for size. Don't stick to one dogmatic principle. You know, everyone needs to follow their own path uh, because everyone's biochemically different to distill it down to the science. We all have completely different genes. So um, try things out, see how you feel, listen to your body, listen to the language of your body, your symptoms, and then make adjustments that way. And if you keep on this path of taking control of your health and constantly trying new and different things and growing, you will slowly move closer and closer and closer to your optimal way. And you'll just get healthier and healthier and feel better and better and be able to live out your life's purpose to the max. Mm. Were those your three? Those were, I think, two. I think those yeah. were in two. there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I will contribute and build on what Josh said. Um, mine always goes back to sort of cultivating that happiness and finding ways to happily create every single day um, so that that process truly is the outcome of what you're doing, that we are finding ways each day to move towards that that place of inner calm and being and goodness that invites us to be the best version of ourselves. And so for everyone, that's different. But if we want like three tangible tips, let's take five really deep breaths first thing in the morning 
Like, let's get into coherence. Let's smile while we do it. Let's, you know, get ourselves into rest and digest mode where we can make rational responses to life as opposed to aggressive reactions. Um, and take that five minutes just to be present with yourself. So let's, let's start with five deep breaths. Let's start with drinking water. Mm-hmm. Like, really the basics. Like, no supplement is going to work if you're not hydrating with what you're, you know, you're made up with. You're made up of water. So getting a good, clean source of water is so vitally important and so basic. And there was just a story um, about they caught some little salmon off the coast of Seattle that were loaded with pharmaceutical drugs. And we had our water, our tap water in Toronto, which is potable, you know, they say it's some of the best tap water you can drink out of a faucet. Um, and I had a guy come and test it, and it turned out that we had the optimal level of chlorine in our water for a swimming pool. So so get a clean source of water. I don't care if you're in an apartment and it's temporary. It's 1,000% worth the investment to get a filtration system on your faucet or get spring water. Um, there's companies that will deliver in glass bottles in most places in North America, even if you're not going to go out and get your own. So we're going to breathe, we're going to drink water, and we're going to go out in the sunshine. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I did a talk and someone said, well, what do you recommend? It was back in November and someone said, what do you recommend? It's getting cold outside. I was like, get a coat. So <laughs> go out, get fresh air, get some sunshine, yeah. get some nature every day in some amount. And we did last year this challenge for the David Suzuki Foundation. It was 30 by 30. So 30 minutes in nature for 30 days in a row. And even... You know, I don't want to be like even us, like we're so evolved, but I feel like we're pretty connected and pretty aware and getting those 30 minutes in every day was a definite challenge. And so if we can get outside and breathe fresh air and get some sunshine on our skin that's not coated with, you know, oxybenzone, some cancer causing chemicals, um, those three things, breathing, fresh water, <laughs> air and sunlight, you know, they're all free. Well, maybe not the water, but once you make the initial investment, getting clean water, it's free. Um, that can change everything. And that just reconnects you to you and allows you to do so many things we talked about, which is to tune in and pay attention to how your body's feeling on any given day. And after all that's taken care of, then you can pay more attention to the food choices you're making and, and to the, the life choices you're making and the work that you do, the partners you're, you're with, the way you speak to people, your children, your parents, your friends, and, and what you say yes and what you say no to in your life. Mm-hmm. Beautiful and brilliant. Nice, Megan. Thanks, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Really good. Um, Wow. This was incredible. Thank you guys for coming on. Thanks for having us. It was great. Thank you. Thanks for the the pre-interview, honey. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. And before we get off, um, where can everyone find out more about you and you? Uh, I'm over at MeganTeltner.com, and our next run of the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program begins in September. So registration is opening uh, March 30th. Don't know when this will be airing, but uh, go to CulinaryNutrition.com, and we have a free conference coming up as well. So go over there, and you can get more information about our program and join our awesome global tribe. Oh, and my books are Undiet and the Undiet Cookbook, and those are available at any major bookseller. And I can be found at joshcatalis.com. And I also have a program beginning in September on functional nutrition certification. Mm. So people can check that out. And I also offer a variety of courses on functional nutrition, functional medicine, um, different uh, parts of the body, different systems and whatnot, and on supplements. So they can all check that out at joshcatalis.com. 
Beautiful. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening into another edition of the official Ronnie Landis podcast show. And if you guys are still listening, you obviously enjoyed this as much or possibly more than I did. But from my view, since I have two of these people here sitting right in front of me um, in the most amazing view ever in my outside office over here in Kauai, it's going to be hard to beat. But I know that you guys obviously had to love this episode. Um, And all their information is on the show notes as well of this episode by the time you're listening to it. And I appreciate you listening to it and listening to all the podcasts. So thanks so much for tuning in. And we will, you will hear from us next time on the official Ronnie Landis podcast show. Aloha.